Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Hold That Thought. I'm Rebecca King, and to kick off our summer series on the craft of writing, I've gone back into our archives to re-edit my interview with the incredible poet Carl Phillips. Carl teaches poetry here at Washington University in St. Louis, and he is the author of 13 books of poetry. Back when I did this interview in 2013, it was actually one of the first interviews I did for Hold That Thought, and Professor Phillips was incredibly generous in sharing his knowledge and experiences with me. I thought it would be the perfect way to start this new series. Back then, we were discussing his book, Silver Chest, which was nominated for the Griffin Poetry Prize in 2014. You should definitely also check out his latest book of poetry, Reconnaissance, which came out in 2015 after this interview took place. So thanks again for tuning in, and here's my interview with Carl Phillips. As predominantly a fiction writer, I'm really interested in form and poetry. Mm -hmm. How do your poems take form, figuratively and then on the page? Mm -hmm. Well, how they come into being, in a way, that is a mystery to me which is why I feel strange teaching creative writing. You know, I guess I think, why is it that some people instinctively turn to paint and it never occurs to them ever to write something down or to sing? So I don't know, I've always sort of lived in language and it sounds a little crazy, but I just will happen to be doing something very routine, cooking, walking a dog, and a whole line just comes into my head and I think, huh, it seems like that's going to be in a poem, so I just write it down. And then maybe a month goes by and I have some very late night where I think, huh, I think if I sit around with these fragments, something will happen. And then hours can go by and I have this block of writing. And so that's the initial idea. And then it comes into trying to shape it. I'd like to think of lines and line breaks in the way musicians have sheet music and notes and everything. Like a quarter note, it's going to be held a certain amount versus a half note. And so I... I feel like if you could musically score a poem, that's what I'm trying to do, and that's how some lines are longer than others. What is the biggest struggle for you when crafting a poem? The biggest struggle? I think the biggest struggle is just having an idea. I'm not one of those poets, I know many people who are, who can set up a subject for themselves, a project, and say, well, I'll write you know, a book about, about this, and and they'll start doing it, or they'll decide, well, I'm at the beach, I guess I'll write a beach poem. And I've never been good at fulfilling an assignment that's given to me. So I have to just be sitting around and receptive to some possibility. And that, the more time goes by, that can be frustrating, because I feel like there's something, I don't like to think of poetry as therapy, but there is something of a, a release that happens when you feel like you've nailed something and given shape to some kind of thought. And for a while, I feel like, okay, I'm good for a few weeks. And, and then you just feel it kind of building up again. That, too, is kind of sexual in its description. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. <clears throat> oh, well. Do you think poetry is a way to explore? You talked about, like, sexuality and identity. Mm -hmm. For me, writing poems is a way of wrestling with unresolvable questions. And for a brief time, it feels as if resolution has been reached. And that's when you've given the form to the poem. 
But then, of course, you realize you, there is no resolution. So that was a temporary sort of stay against, I don't know, madness, it feels like sometimes. And, you know, so even just a basic subject like love, I mean, there is no resolution to it in some way. And so I think that's why people keep writing about it, making movies about it and pop songs. I mean, there's still heartache and there's still joy. And and neither one of them seems to ever be the one that you land on permanently. So... In your latest book, Silver Chest, mm-hmm. dominance and submission seem to be this big theme. Flight of Doves comes to mind, Neon, mm-hmm. Dominion. What about that subject appeals to you? Well, I guess I'm interested in the power structure of relationships. Because I think there's always power in the balance. And you know, like, how do two very strong-willed people, for example, exist in a relationship? It seems that there has to be yielding by somebody and so who's going to do that and it just after a while I was interested in how that plays itself out it seemed like in sadomasochism I mean there there are fixed roles but then someone was explaining to me that you know there's what we see we see the person who's physically in charge but they're explaining that really the person who agrees to be the sort of passive one is exercising a kind of power as well which then leads me back to relationships. And just because someone seems to be the more quiet person in the couple doesn't mean that they actually don't hold their form of power. So so I'm just interested in that, not just sexually, but it does resonate with spiritual life, it seems to me. This idea of faith in some higher power, which requires submission. So I've been interested in that for a while, but maybe it is more strongly in this book, I don't know. But it's kind of an old subject, too. I mean, it's very much in the metaphysical writers, with John Donne asking God to batter his heart and to beat him into submission so that he will be more faithful. So there's something very erotically charged about it. There's the self in poetry, and you use I a lot. Mm -hmm. So how close to your poetry would you say that the speaker is and you are? I guess what I always, how I look at it is that poetry is not the transcription of experience, it's the transformation of it. So I don't want people to read my books and think, okay, that's what Carl's been doing. On the other hand, it's true that these are things I've been thinking about. So it's hard to say. I mean, it, I think every poem by anybody is autobiographical at some level. Even if you just write about leaves falling off a tree, the fact that you chose to write about that versus something else says something about you, even if it's not a confession of any kind. So for example, in the poem that I read with the the two guys and the horses, I'm afraid of horses. I don't hang out with people who have horses, but I'm attracted to their beauty. and, And I don't know anybody who has stables and all of that. So that just is something that occurs in the mind. But the context for it, I mean, that's just the setting for it and that's made up, but then this issue of what does it mean to have found that enough time has passed that you've been with somebody for what amounts to a personal history? And what does it mean that the relationship is, it veers between sexual humiliation to the naming of horses, to looking at flowers in somebody's garden? So somewhere in there is something that's true, but then a lot that isn't. There are poets where the speaker, the I, is actually the poet. You know, Sharon Olds has her recent book that is about her divorce, and it's very much the husband, her, their children, and she's not trying to disguise it in that way. 
You have 12 books of poetry now? Apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. And you won the Los Angeles Times Book Prize for yeah. Double Shadow, been a finalist for the National Book Award and the National Book Critics Circle Award. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like you're still learning? I was just talking to one of my students about this yesterday. In this book, in Silver Chest, there are a lot of poems that are like two lines, three lines long. I never had done that before. And I didn't at first trust that they were poems. And it just seemed like it's enough happening to leave this little fragmented thing on its own page. And so that's been a surprise because I like compression. And I've also been discovering that, you know, things don't have to cohere as tightly. Like that poem, Anyone Who Had a Heart, it mostly tells a narrative and it's traceable. But then I like things like the first poem I read where, or the second one, where you're talking about this flower and then suddenly you're talking about the relationship between two people. I myself don't quite know how that connection works, but I liked it in the way that like Mark Rothko's paintings work where it's like red square and green one and you don't get a helpful title to tell you what it means. And so it's just about juxtaposition and, and how things start to hum next to each other. I don't know, I think I'm learning about that. Well, what advice do you have for young poets? Some of it's boring advice, like read everything possible and everything counts, it seems to me, whether it's People magazine or, you know, the Norton Anthology. But also what I feel I'm observing with a lot of young writers is a resistance to living in the world. Like, I I think it's important to actually walk outside, go out, do stuff. I've known students who after two years here, have not gone to Forest Park, which is across the street. And, I mean, it's never occurred to them to ride a bike through there or something. I think, well, you should. You should get out and do stuff. I feel like that's where poetry comes from, is how we interact with the world and in ways that often we didn't expect. Is there a question that we haven't asked or a question that you've always wanted to be asked? I don't know. If someone asked me, what is your favorite thing to do? Because I feel that often people think there's some writerly life and (laughs) that what I'm mostly doing is looking for the next poem and then writing and reading books and everything. And then my answer would probably be cooking completely from scratch. And strangely, I feel like it's the antidote to poetry in some way, because to me, it feels like so much grappling to try to come about into a poem. There's something refreshing about having your ingredients and knowing if I do the following things, I will actually make something today and give pleasure to other people if I feed it to them. And there's something nice about the particular pleasure of bringing people often who don't know each other together and over food, suddenly everyone's happy. And I like that. I think my poems make it seem as if I spend a lot of time brooding and being gloomy, (laughs) but actually I like happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Many thanks again to Carl Phillips, the award-winning poet and professor of poetry here at Washington University in St. Louis. And thanks to you, too, for tuning in to Hold That Thought. Join me next week for more podcasts with writers talking about their craft.